Daily Drive is brought to you by eBay Motors. Auto dealers, are you missing the most engaged buyers because you don't know where to find them? At eBay Motors, you'll find buyers so motivated, they purchase a car or truck once every three minutes. Just call 866-210-5362 and mention code AUTONEWS to get 50% off your first two months. Hi everyone and welcome to Daily Drive. I'm Steve Smith with Automotive News and it's Friday, July 23rd. The push to electrification has gained a lot of momentum in recent months. Automakers have made bold pronouncements about transitioning their product portfolios to vehicles exclusively powered by electricity, capital investments in startup EV automakers and companies helping build charging infrastructure have increased, and U.S. public policy debate has increasingly included reference to electric vehicles. Frank Manchaka, chief growth officer at SAE International, says all of those announcements and investments and policy conversations signal that the science behind electric vehicles is to a point where standards are required that will enable even further scaling of EVs. He also says the push to EVs does not close the door on other alternative powertrain solutions, like hydrogen, an energy source he says has important applications in areas like long-haul trucking. In fact, Manchaka believes the future will be powered by a variety of clean energy solutions, but getting there requires the development of standards and training and requires a lot of different kinds of companies working together in partnership. To aid in that effort, SAE has recently established an Office of Energy. Its objective, among other things, is a mission to help stakeholders and customers address challenges associated with the shift to sustainable energy transportation. It's an objective developed after conversations with dozens of thought leaders that certainly represent the automotive industry, but also executives in aerospace, energy, and even leaders of some of America's national labs. It's a reflection, says Manchaka, of the rich fabric of companies and disciplines it's going to take to really push the movement of people and things into cleaner, more sustainable sources of energy. Where does the development of the SAE Office of Energy stand today, and what's left to do? What other missions are on the agenda? And how does SAE's long history in aerospace complement efforts underway on the ground? We've reached SAE International Chief Growth Officer Frank Manchaka at the organization's headquarters in Warrendale, Pennsylvania. Frank, thanks so much for joining me today on the Daily Drive podcast. How are you? I'm terrific, Steve. Thanks for having me. Thank you. It's good to speak with you. Really interested on getting SAE's view on a lot of the industry trends, a lot of topics that are going on in this industry and quite frankly around the world when it comes to alternative sources of energy, clean energy, climate change, etc. So why don't we start with getting perhaps your or SAE's point of view on the industry's push towards electric vehicles? Sure. So, uh, the industry push toward electric vehicles is actually goes back numerous decades. Uh, you can go back into the 1980s, um, and uh, there was development and manufacturing underway uh, in uh, GM and and other automakers uh, of electric vehicles. Very interesting thing, Steve. In our our WCX World Congress, we have a classic car um, collection, um, and there is a GM electric vehicle. Um, that goes back to, um, I think, the 1960s or even 1950s. So it's not as though electrification has not been on the minds of automakers. And as you're well aware, um, among the first uh, uh, cars that were ever produced were electric. So, um, so, so, so what's changed and what's different? 
Um, it's clear that over the last um, several years, there has been a real spike in uh, interest in electrification, and that's driven by numerous factors. Um, one is uh, the success of a company like Tesla, um, which has popularized uh, electric vehicles in a new way, albeit in that luxury uh, sector. Uh, but then, you know, um, I, I think you see other um, entrants into the market from GM um, and, and so on. So, uh, so there is uh, the development of battery technology um, that is now reaching scale, which allows for greater range. Um, and there is the development of um, also scale um, in electric vehicles. So I think you combine that with uh, a growing awareness of the need to shift to uh, carbon neutral uh, transportation, uh, sustainable transportation, and that naturally um, supports the evolution of, of um, electric vehicles to the point where we're seeing them today. Uh, and I bring it all the way up to, you know, almost the present where, you know, in, in January of 2021, um, you have the uh, chief executive officer of GM saying that by 2035, we're not going to be making um, um, internal combustion engine vehicles anymore. We're going to shift to electric vehicles. Uh, and that's that's a, a profound change. Um, and you see many other OEMs following suit. So I think you have this building ecosystem of um, popular interest in electric vehicles through uh, the, the popularization of, of Tesla. You have the, um, uh, the need um, to uh, limit uh, greenhouse gas emissions um, as a, a dimension of global warming. Um, and then you have the development of battery technology and manufacturing that is now able to scale uh, these vehicles and provide a, a, a greater range of uh, distance that they cover. So it's a big push towards electrification. We're hearing about it uh, not only from automakers, suppliers, energy companies with respect to charging stations, hearing it, uh, you know, even from mining companies, et cetera, et cetera. What does this mean for other potential powertrain technologies that are out there like hydrogen are are those coming to an end has the industry made the bet that says we're going to evs and that's the way it's going to be yeah no uh, it, so, so uh, all of this is very very fresh uh we just came off of a, a six month sprint of doing some intensive voice of customer research here at sa where we're talking to senior leaders not only in oems but also in suppliers um, we're also talking to uh, individuals on the aerospace side, um, where SA has a, a pretty significant presence. We're talking to people in energy companies, um, in infrastructure, government infrastructure, um, and so forth. And the consensus overwhelmingly is, yes, electrification is here, but it is certainly not the, uh, the only sustainable technology that we need to explore and develop. So, for example, um, there is interest in long-haul trucking um, in looking at hydrogen. And, and there's a very interesting point at which um, um, hydrogen fuel um, begins to, in, in long-haul trucking, begins to overlap with the aerospace um, industry, where you have the need to uh, propel a vehicle over long distances where battery electrification you know, may not necessarily be the best technology. So I think, you know, what, what we hear from our industry stakeholders is, yes, electrification is here and it's happening and it's happening at scale. 
but we absolutely must refine and and develop um, our thinking about how to deploy a wide range of sustainable energy sources, including hydrogen, um, e-fuels, synthetic fuels, and so forth. So, so I think it's a it's it's not monolithic. It's more like a mosaic. Sticking with EVs and this notion of sustainability, right? One of the things that is touted often about this technology is that it's cleaner, it's it's more sustainable than internal combustion engines, and one of the primary factors is the impact that drilling has on the environment. When you look at EVs and look at the metals that need to come out of the ground to support mass production of batteries, I'm curious, in your view or SAE's view, are we swapping one fossil fuel for the other? Is this is this really the clean pathway that we're touting versus these other potential uh, powertrain solutions like hydrogen? Yeah, no, I think it's a great question. Here's kind of how how I think about it, which is really a reflection of how the industry um, thinks about it. So, as I said, we've been engaged in this really intensive voice of customer effort, um, and this entire issue of sustainability is not only bound up with um, limiting or eliminating um, uh, greenhouse gas uh, emissions, but it's also in developing um, standards and practices around things like battery recycling and battery sourcing. These also have to be conducted in a sustainable uh, way in order to really be additive to um, uh, sustainable transportation. So um, what I can tell you is that there is a lot of thought going on within the industry of the batteries relationship to the infrastructure. So, um, you know, it, I think one of the one of the remarkable things that we're living through is the transformation of the vehicle um, from being a vehicle, a self-contained, you know, uh, structure of metal and rubber uh, that that kind of moves along in its own space. The transformation of that object into a connected telecommunications tool, and that automatically changes the con the context in which uh, the, the vehicle operates. It means that the vehicle then has to operate within a much broader system that not only includes other vehicles, but it also includes infrastructure, whether it's smart traffic lights in the design of smart cities, um, or it's an information grid. Um, that the car is, is now part of as kind of a rolling computer. So th the same is true with regard to electrification. You have uh, this, this vehicle that is now connected. It has a battery. That battery has a relationship to the power grid. There is a lot of thought going into how do we define how that should happen in a sustainable, uh, responsible way. So there's a lot of thought going into bidirectional battery use where the battery becomes um, part of the power grid when the car is not in use. I think, you know, I've, I've read somewhere that um, the, we use our vehicles about 10% of the time. So uh, when that car is charging, um, you know, in, in, your, in your garage or at your charge port, um, that battery can become part of a microgrid um, that is supplying power. Um, and so the responsible integration of that battery into the microgrid is, I think, a really big subject. Um, in addition to that, um, what happens with battery second life? Um, you know, so when that battery is used up, how is it recycled? 
how is it uh, how is it redeployed so that it doesn't become another liability um, to the environment? The same is true in sourcing, um, and so uh, and that gets back to our earlier discussion, Steve, where you know we talked about the need to look not only at electrification but also uh, alternative fuels where uh, the, the, you know, the sourcing of rare earth material is, is maybe less of an issue. So I think you have to kind of look at the, the entire landscape of sustainable transportation of which electrification is a major part and it's here and it's happening. Uh, but you also have to look at how that electrification interacts with the, the, the broader infrastructure in terms of battery recycling, um, and energy use to really be able to say, all right, we're really making progress in sustainable um, transportation because we're starting to think through these bigger, more infrastructure, you know, more complex interactions that the vehicle has. And, and to your point on sourcing, right, and one of those other risks that when it comes to electrification, and I think the semiconductor issue that we're going through right now is a clear illustration of that is the fact that you know, those base raw materials to make batteries, you know, they, they there's a lot of competition for them. They're, yeah. they're vital. They're scarce. Some of these things are buried in the ground in places in the world where you, the United States does not have very strong uh, trade agreements, uh, trade policy in place. There are there are some inherent risks when it comes to this type of transformation towards electrification as well. How are you all thinking about that? So, so we are, um, I think, very much um, thinking about the need to bring together multi multiple constituents. Um, we feel that there is a need. We hear um, from our from our customer partners in the industry that there is a need to bring together not only the makers of the vehicle and the suppliers, but the energy companies the state and local um, entities that are responsible for administering and, and overseeing uh, energy. Um, there is a need to connect those that are supplying the charging facilities. There's a need to connect the federal government to this. So uh, I, I think when we look back on this period, Steve, I, I think it, we may see it as kind of a um, as as pivotal as any in the transportation industry, where we needed to make this shift from one way of one means of propulsion to another, um, and that really requires that we think holistically about all of this: the sourcing, the recycling, the infrastructure, um, and the manufacturing. All of those things now are, are part of a piece. Um, and so SAE is really, I think, very committed to being part of this, being at the center of it or in the middle of it as much as we possibly can. Um, we've just established a brand new office of energy uh, to, uh, to, to really come to terms with this or help the industry come to terms with this. We, we think it's that important. We'll be right back with more. The most motivated car buyers aren't knocking on your door anymore. They're online, but you don't have to look far. You can find them at eBay Motors. Our platform features over 7 million engaged users. Our buyers are so engaged, they enter over 3 billion search impressions per month and buy a car or truck every three minutes. Today's car buyer has high expectations when they browse online. 
eBay Motors helps you meet those expectations. Use machine learning with our AI-driven vehicle pages, and you'll automatically optimize your buyer's experience. It's as easy as listing your inventory and watching as the most engaged buyers find you. If you've ever uploaded your automotive inventory to a website, you have more than enough skills to get your cars listed on eBay Motors. It will feel like you're setting up an entirely new car dealership within minutes. Once you list your available inventory, you'll have additional support from the platform, including a single destination page for your entire brand. Want to generate more sales automatically? eBay Motors lets you choose between auction, classified, and fixed-price listing options so the site does the heavy lifting. It even integrates with your existing dealer or vehicle management system. All you have to do is list your inventory, sit back, relax, watch a movie, and then check back in to see the sales you've made. How do you start? It's as simple as creating an account. Call 866-210-5362 and mention the code AUTONEWS to get 50% off your first two months. Find out why selling cars has never been this easy. That number again, 866-210-5362. I think it's really apropos that this conversation between you and I is happening the same week that Jeff Bezos took a rocket ship to space and a couple of weeks following Richard Branson doing the same and how that relates to today's conversation and your mention of the Office of the Energy is that SAE works both in aerospace and in automotive. So I'd like to understand, I'd like for you to share with listeners how those two competencies are uh, complement each other and tell us a little bit or tell us about this Office of Energy. You know, what is the need for the office? What problem is it designed to solve? Yeah, so so the the Office of Energy is is uh, being stood up um, to be a, a center of knowledge um, and enablement for the industry um, to have the kinds of conversations that I'm alluding to. So you have a need to create a um, a relationship, a bridge, if you will, between entities that probably didn't talk to each other very much, um, like. OEMs and energy companies and OEMs and um, entities responsible for the microgrid, OEMs and, uh, you know, potentially natural resource manufacturers. Uh, so there are all of these new relationships that are implied by sustainable energy and electrification. And SA is, has always been a convener. Uh, it's, it's in our DNA. When we were founded in 1906, we were founded to convene engineers to help them do their jobs more effectively. Not a thing has changed about that in 2021. Um, we are still the organization by which engineers come together uh, to solve problems of transportation. And what we see before us is a new set of problems that uh, is generated by sustainable energy um, and um, and and we feel we need to help the industry by having a focused effort and a focused uh, um, focused resource on that. So that's really the office of energy. It is to um, to enable these relationships to occur between industry and government, industry and energy. Um, it is to pave the way for standards, uh, which is another thing that it's in, in our DNA, standards and, and things like professional development um, that, is able, that, that, that is able to train the next generation of engineers going into this world um, that 
you know, need to know all of the nuts and bolts of mechanical energy, but then need to understand how that relates to um, uh, electrification and automation and all of these things. So, so there is a, a wonderful array of opportunities that, that uh, um, technology has provided us. We have to connect the dots in a holistic way um, rather than have kind of a patchwork quilt of um, entities that are doing this or doing that. There's an entire landscape that needs to be drawn and framed and brought to life. And, and that's really what uh, what this Office of Energy is designed to do. I think it, it leads to the to the other part of your question about aerospace. So um, so SA is is uh, the major engineering organization um, in aerospace. Um, we uh, provide standards and training um, to the you know, the global aerospace industry. So so we're a major player there. What's really interesting about that is that uh, I alluded to this earlier. Um, there is uh, an overlap between the kinds of sustainable energy needs that are happening in aerospace with long haul trucking. When you consider that you have to move a large vehicle that is very heavy very quickly um, and you have to find a way to do that uh, um, sustainably, then um, electrification probably reaches its limits. Um, and so you have to start looking at um, um, hydrogen-based and, and e-fuels and, and alternative fuel-based propulsion. And so we feel we have a, a unique role to play there because of our experience in the aerospace industry. Um, we are looking to bridge that into um, things like the commercial vehicle area where, you know, uh, th there are many of the same considerations go into uh, long-haul trucking. Uh, so, so that's, so we were in, in the last six months when we've been doing this voice of customer, we've been very overt in talking to the aerospace side as much as the ground vehicle side, um, because uh, if you think about it, the aerospace industry has maybe a longer history of figuring out how to factor in the infrastructure because of course uh, an, an airplane you know cannot and does not operate independently within the ecosystem it has to operate in in concert with uh, other aircraft it have to has to operate in concert with the infrastructure with uh, the airport with with the control tower um, so there's a pretty well developed understanding of of infrastructure on the on the aerospace side that I I think you know can kind of inform what we do on the ground vehicle side. In addition to these other considerations, where where the propulsion simply overlaps between things like long haul trucking and, and aerospace. What kind of reaction are you getting from these stakeholders that you've interviewed? And and before our conversation, I had an opportunity to look at some of who were those folks were. And to your point, it's a very diverse group of people representing different industries, different functions, uh, et cetera. What kind of feedback are you getting from these stakeholders or others relative to this idea of the office and establishing the office? Yeah, I, I think we are, um, it, there's a very well-articulated need for the kinds of connections that that we're proposing to build with with the office of energy um, with the people that we have interviewed as part of voice of customer this was that there was consensus very quickly that this is uh important this is happening now and in order to scale in order to achieve the kinds of goals that are being set out there by oems by the federal government 
um, in order to put the, the you know, fairly large amount of, of spending that's proposed to go into things like a charging infrastructure, in order to make that really work, um, there really needs to be this, this you know, larger contextual framework, uh, this lattice work of relationships that needs to be set up. So the, the, the response is quite good. Um, what I will tell you, Steve, is I just returned from my first customer set of customer visits in 15 months. So I, I used to spend about 60% of my time on the road. Um, and then obviously with the pandemic, um, you know, that all came to a screeching halt. Last week, I was out in California for my first business trip in about 15 months. And um, we were visiting customers and partners uh, up and down the Bay Area. Um, and uh, the, the, the response to Office of Energy and the kinds of considerations that you and I are speaking about, Steve, was, was just overwhelmingly positive. People are saying, right now we feel as though it's a patchwork quilt. You know, Charging is doing one thing, OEMs are doing something else, energy companies are doing something else, but if we're really gonna kind of turn the corner on a scaled, Creation of creation and deployment of electric vehicles within the infrastructure. There does need to be this this larger upstream focus um, on on sorting out the relationship to the infrastructure and so forth. And um, and you know I guess the response was if that's what you're proposing to do with Office of Energy, then then we're very much on board. It's kind of this natural progression of innovation that goes from basic research to applied research through the valley of innovation death into commercialization. And part of that commercialization play is exactly what you're describing, that those standards, those we've done all of the innovation, we've tested various ways of doing things. In this case, when it comes to electri uh, electrification, you know, different types of technology, we figured out what we think is going to work. Still some nuances here and there, but this is really, it sounds like, a very important piece of the puzzle to fully going through that valley of, of death into full commercialization and scale. And, and I agree with you. I think that's an, that's an important role to play. Yeah. To, to the, the way I put it is today's periphery is tomorrow's center. You know, so so you you may be, you know, here we are today, we're talking about things like urban air mobility and 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 so forth. Um, and those things um, are, are perhaps peripheral to something like the aerospace industry today. I mean, no one's getting into flying taxis right now, um, you know, in any scaled way and the infrastructure is not there. But if we're going to build to this sustainable future, then those technologies need to continue to advance um, as well as their safe deployment in order to make those realize the, the promise of those things. And it goes goes back to the you know the rocket ship example that you gave. Um, you know, that is that 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 achievement is the process of a long history of of work and innovation that that take something that is sort of a glimmer in someone's in someone's eye or in a designer's eye or an engineer's eye um, and starts to put a frame around that glimmer, starts to put some color under it, um, starts to put some structure around it. Um, and you have this evolution toward, you know, okay, now it's on the periphery of our of our consciousness. It, we, we can show that it's happened. We see that it's happened. Um, what would it look like 
to you know have those that that kind of technology at the center as one of the centers of our transportation uh, I, I don't know that that's something that's going to happen right away but maybe it's not too hard to consider um, you know 25 years down the line what that might look like um, so to me it's the it's the it's the natural progression of, of human innovation where um, you know you you have this evolution to the periphery of something um, and then if you're really solving problems for people, um, then then that that uh, creation, that that innovation makes its way to the center of uh, of people's lives. And um, and hopefully along the way, um, we've thought of ways to make it cleaner and safer and more accessible. Those are those are the, the I think the big things that, that I, I think we were looking for. I like the way you you characterize that uh, from the periphery to the center. So where is SAE in the journey uh, in establishing the office? What's done? What's left to do? So we've framed out uh, what it looks like. Um, we uh, have, I think, framed out uh, a couple of basic use cases. Um, we're now spinning up uh, a, um, uh, a set of advisory groups. Um, and we're looking to bring on a resource. Uh, and it's it's an interesting question, what kind of resource we want to bring on. Um, you know, we, we recognize that this is a, a set of skills and set of talents and experiences that are, that are probably outside of our normal range. So um, so we're we're challenging ourselves to look for individuals to to help resource this this office that may be coming from energy. They may be coming from civil engineering. Uh, they may be coming from uh, with a background in urban design. Um, and so uh, so we hope to get this uh, this office staffed uh, within the next couple of months uh, with uh, a, a director. Um, and uh, interestingly, we've already had, you know, a few people put their hands up to, to be part of it. And, um, you know, but, but we can't lose any time. So so we've injected a little bit of simultaneity into the equation where we are uh, as as we look to resource this uh, this office um, we're already standing up an advisory board and we kind of already have i think a, a notion of a use case uh, around this which is really that relationship of the battery to the infrastructure um, that seems to be a uh, what is on everybody's mind how does the battery become part of the grid um, what are the questions around recycling what are the questions around um, uh, second life of battery use. What are the questions around, um, um, you know, charging uh, infrastructure and deployment? All interesting and complex questions. And as you have pointed out, it's going to take a lot of different perspective from a lot of different industries to answer those if, if we're going to be successful in this push to scaling innovation, scaling alternative sources of energy. And all of that means a cleaner environment for for all of humankind. Frank, thank you so much for joining me today on the show. Congratulations for all the work that you and your team are doing and congratulations on establishing uh, the Office of Energy. It sounds like a very exciting opportunity and we look forward to following its success. Well, thanks very much, Steve, uh, and thank you for having me. That's Daily Drive for Friday, July 23rd. For breaking news, go to autonews.com. And to catch up on all of our episodes of Daily Drive, go to autonews.com forward slash Daily Drive. As always, thanks for listening and enjoy the weekend. We'll be back on Monday.